Good morning, everyone. This is Johnny Tan, author of From My Mama's Kitchen, Food for the Soul, Recipes for Living. Happy Wednesday and welcome to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk radio show. Here's a quick announcement. Our July heart-centered and passion-driven Inspirations for a Better Living digital magazine designed to help moms build a better future for themselves, their families, and loved ones is now live at inspirationsforbetterliving.com. July's theme is A Sum of Smiles and Happiness, Our Blessed Moments. The magazine offers inspirational stories from our dedicated team of experts to help you navigate your current situation with confidence in your motherhood journey as the COO, if not the CEO of your family. So please go to inspirationsforbetterliving.com and treat yourself to some engaging, entertaining, and enlightening stories. You deserve it. As for our radio show today, my guest for this morning is Kim Canteen. Kim enjoyed a 20-year sales and marketing leadership career in medical devices working for a Fortune 500 company. She met her loving husband, Dave, at Johnson & Johnson and they started a family with two great kids and their goofy dog. Later, Kim created her successful marketing consulting firm and became a senior marketing director for Teleflex Urology. Where Yellow Flowers Bloom, Kim's first book, chronicles events leading up to the devastating mud flows of January 2018 in Montecito, California, that took the lives of her husband, Dave, their son, Jack, and their dog, Chester. Miraculously, Kim and her daughter, Lauren, survived the catastrophe. The book details Kim's journey of survival through mourning her husband's death while recreating a life for herself and her daughter, to following her intuition and receiving extraordinary support from her community to find Jack's remains. In, it is the full, mysterious, and awe-inspiring messages, signs, and synchronicities proving that reality is greater and kinder than we can conceive. Kim's desires, her story to show others, especially those affected by trauma and grief, the power of determination, resilience, and the importance of looking for positivity when it seems impossible to find at times. She wants to offer hope and inspires others that despite the magnitude of loss and grief, like her, Kim ended up seeing beauty where there should be none. In the end, love found a way. As for our kitchen table conversation this morning, Kim and I will be talking about her remarkable life's journey of discovering inner strength, resilience, and how the power of love can lead to healing, gives rise to unexpected wisdom, and transcends beyond life. Good morning, Kim. Happy Wednesday, and welcome to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. How are you doing today? Good morning, Johnny. Um, thank you for having me. Um, I'm doing well, and it's good to be here. Wonderful. It is a pleasure to have you with me. Where Yellow Flowers Bloom is an empowering memoir. It is beautifully and heart-centeredly written. Congratulations on its release. Thank you. Let us start by getting reacquainted to what happened. Please share with us the events that led to the devastating mud flow of January 9th, 2018 at northwest of Montecito, California. 
Okay. Um, so I'm going to start a little bit earlier than January. I'm going to start in December because that's an important part. In yes. December of 2017, there started what was called the Thomas Fire. It was the then largest um, California wildfire in California history. I think it covered over 300 thousand acres um, and it moved from Ventura and started roaring towards Santa Barbara and Montecito is kind of the first kind of um, town as you enter into to Santa Barbara and um, as it did that the firefighters did heroic work to to work to put it out we were evacuated three times um, worrying that was our house going to be standing when we got back um, and it and it was but it was a very challenging period it was right by the holidays so it was kind of the holiday that didn't happen but when when they got it under control a little bit more if you know something about santa barbara there are big mountains and then there's probably about five miles four miles of land and then you get the ocean so it's this beautiful stark contrast between amazing mountain range the san Inez mountain range and the pacific ocean and so after the thomas fire if we, when we looked up to the mountain, it wasn't green and covered with trees and foliage anymore. It had been um, just parched, and everything had been uh, had been um, destroyed with the fire. And what it left was big hundred-year-old down trees on their side, you know, uh, and it would um, leave big precarious. Um, car-sized boulders sitting on the, the edge of, of the hillside, but they didn't have the, the, the um, foliage to hold them really in place. So it was a really kind of a, a scary time. So that happened in December. And early in January, there was predicted some heavy rain. And so from the Thomas fires, we had the, um, there was an app you could get to go on your computer and to go to your cell phone. It was called Aware and, and Beware, and it was kind of like the sound of an amber alert would go off on your phone. You'd look at it, mm-hmm. and it would tell you if you had to evacuate or what, what emergency updates that people needed to know to be safe. So we got those routinely um, from the Thomas fire, and it, you know, it, it's, a, it's a sound that is very triggering because of what it signaled. And um, we kept checking, and we were not in the mandatory evacuation zone. We knew heavy rain was coming, and we um, were down in the village. Our house wasn't up on the hillsides by those big boulders just hanging there. We were down more in the town. And um, so we kept watching those. We prepared the house. We put down sandbags. We cleared out the drains. Um, And um, what happened that night, it was kind of a perfect storm where – I think it was half an inch of rain fell in 15 minutes um, or five minutes. Mm -hmm. It was just torrential. But it fell on to soil that um, really had been changed from the ash that had fallen. So it was kind of slippery. Um, They they call it something, I don't know the word, but it's almost like wet plastic, just slip and slide. And um, the mountain came roaring down. And it roared down in the middle of the night, and it roared down to the town. And um, as it roared down through the creek, these big boulders came with it, and these 100-year-old trees came with it. And um, while we were in our house in the middle of the night, um, we were all getting up. We heard, um, you know, the heavy rain, so we got up, and we were going to get ready to leave. And um, and a 30-foot wave um, 
plume down as it didn't make the corner in the creek, um, which was across the lane from our house, and um, crashed down on our house and obliterated it with my family in it. Wow. That's that's just totally, uh, you know, I don't think anyone could imagine it. You you think about it, and but unless you're in it, it the impact is very different. And I'm glad we're having this conversation, and respectfully, I knew this is a, a major tragedy for you as well as the community in itself. But in yeah. today's world, especially right now, this minute, I'm so glad and happy that you wrote this book, as difficult it is, but it's, at the same time, it's an educational book that people need to realize because uh, there is a global climate change. Regardless of which party affiliation you're at, it's got nothing to do with party. We're human beings. We are inhabitants uh, of uh, this beautiful earth. <laughs> Something is happening. Mm. And we live in a closed system. You cannot create order without creating disorder somewhere else. And if I recall mm. at that time properly, like I say, you know, it started with the fire. Well, uh, with the drought then, so you lost ground cover. Well, you change the dynamics of things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, things change, yeah, right? I mean, and so responded, right? Precisely. I mean, it's not like you guys were purposely wanting to live in the danger zone. Nobody wants to do that. Are you crazy? You know, but things change. And so yeah. uh, are we prepared? And having you is an honor to talk about your own personal life experiences because I think People need to hear from real people, real situation, the experience that people go through so that it rings a bell, uh, you know, a real decisive bell in some ways. And I'm glad to know that you are sharing your story uh, from the book perspective as well as uh, my understanding that you are going around uh, places to talk about it because I think it's time, uh, it's now, basically, (laughs) to get a word out there. And and so and and the beauty of it, you know, of course, uh, you've been put in that position to share from a personal experience. Can you share well, with us? Well, I hope it can help, right? <laughs> oh, oh yes, oh yes, definitely. Can you share with us your and your daughter's experience of the mudslide that trapped both of you? Well, the book details all the gory details, um, which mm-hmm. I don't have time to. I mean, my daughter gives her firsthand experience in the book of being buried alive. Mm-hmm. for six hours under 20 feet of mud um, with just a tiny pocket of air in front of her face to breathe before her rescue that was captured yeah. on video for the world to see. Um, and, um, you know, I share my story, and actually um, her first responder, Andy, shares his story the first time he met Lauren, um, mm-hmm. you know, in full detail, but in kind of a the – cliff note version for the the show, (laughs) Um, you know, when we were all in different parts of the house and um, my husband, um, he was checking on the house and um, because of the heavy water and to see how the the house was doing with the water. And he yelled in, he says the detached garage is getting water in it already, which was really surprising. And um, then all of a sudden it was the middle of the night and we were all up trying to get dressed to get out. We had the car staged to leave to go to a hotel. We had a hotel room booked. And as that happened, the night sky went from from like pitch black at 3.30 in the morning, as it should be, to an eerie yellow, like a nuclear bomb yellow. And what had happened, which we didn't know, is there was a a massive gas leak that happened, I think, when some boulders hit some some gas um, equipment 
and mm-hmm. it just exploded into the sky and it lit up the town. And so that was happening, and we were urgently saying, get out, get out, get out. Um, my son had gone to his room to get his clothes on. He had slept in the living room that night. Um, my daughter was running to get her clothes on on the other side of the house. I already threw, had thrown my clothes on, and, and Dave was checking on on, on the house. And then um, before we knew it, um, a 30-foot wave crashed down in the house, and I, I turned, and, and then, then a, an aware and beware blast went off on my phone as an alert but by then the mud was at my waist and it had uh, come through and I remember seeing a chair from my dining room in another room which is around the corner and a bend came floating toward me and it was just surreal um it was chaotic it was surreal um I couldn't have hold my footing Dave was trying to he he ran outside he says get out get out get out and um I couldn't my hand got stuck in the door but I think that saved my life. Um, he had nothing to stop him. Mm-hmm. Um, I had the house. As the house started to be falling apart around me, that slowed things down. And then the big probably chunks of the house, um, which I was in probably, would catch on trees. So it would slow us down. Because I right. think the flow was coming down at about 20 or 30 miles an hour. Um, and in that, you know, so it was, it was pretty devastating. And Lauren was in getting her... Um, her boots and she she tried to run and mud came at her and she ended up you know toward the ceiling and then all of a sudden she felt fast movement and then boom and then soon she was entombed you know under 20 feet of mud and part of a roof and a couple cars and an electrical transformer you know for for six hours and she was fully conscious i went unconscious i believe um when i was remember going under the mud and then i went unconscious i'm sure and then um, woke up um, kind of dazed on a debris pile in an intersection wrapped in electrical wire with my left leg trapped. And um, I was there for a couple hours before I was rescued. It's, it's amazing. You know, you just can't imagine that kind of thing. And even though you hear what people tell you, I think to be in it, is where the true experiences, and then it really shook you. You know, it, that's a sort of a paradigm shift, so to speak, <laughs> to, to go through No, it was nothing. Like I mean, uh-huh. it was like being under the, the Niagara Falls and an oncoming Amtrak train at the same time. And right, right. it was the most, I mean, Hollywood, if they ever <laughs> tried to do a movie on the mudslide and what it was like to live through it, I, I, I I wish them luck in trying to really capture the horror of it. It was, it was pretty startling. Precisely, it's it's very difficult. I you know I I grew up uh, watching and and I'm segueing this because I'm trying to give people some ideas of certain things that you know we hear about it. Right, we watch movie. Mm-hmm. It's not the same. Uh, I grew up watching the Civil War, you know, all the documentaries by, uh, I guess it was with Kent, uh, I forgot his last name, but uh, anyway, it was interesting. And one of the things that they talked about was the first, the the battle uh, where all day long they were shooting, you know, back and forth (laughs) with the cannons, right? Mm. And, you know, you read the book, it's very descriptive. Oh, the ground shook, this, that, and all kinds of stuff. Uh, But you you just can't imagine that. And it's what happens that was one year I went to... Washington D.C. for the Fourth of July, and you know, as you know, they shoot the fireworks from the reflection sure. lake in between 
the Lincoln Center and the Washington yeah. uh, Monument. And if you sit at the Washington Monument during those fireworks, the ground shook. Where every time when mm. there's an explosion and mm. you see this thing pops up in the air and you hear the sound, you smell. For the first time in my life, I'm just like, that's war, guys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> line. Mm-hmm. Because you mm-hmm. tell people they can't, uh-huh, yeah, all right, you know, and, and it's a shame. But unless you uh, have something to really get you to really experience, all of a sudden you start sweating, you, you know, your nerve, you know, it's, it's mm-hmm. amazing. And so I, I totally understand that. So uh, uh, I, I don't mean to segue, but I just wanted to share the experience. I think no one can really experience it unless they be in there in itself to, to, mm-hmm. to really experience it. And then you'll change, you know, your thought process. And that leads me to mm-hmm. uh, please tell us about the physical and mental recovery journey for you and your daughter, Lauren. Oh, gosh. Well, I was in the hospital for three weeks um, and had to learn to walk again and then had to go to to be at a rehab hospital to be able to walk again and and do stuff. I was was hit all over. I was eggplant purple, um, and I thought I had a broken hip, and I had a couple surgeries when I got to the hospital. Um, Lauren was injured as well. Um, I think a fractured rib, something with her pelvis pelvis um, she actually did better than I did physically um, <clears throat> so it was it was you know getting physically better and then you know it's the the trauma recovery right um, and, the, and the mental we had sudden traumatic death right we went to bed one night yeah. and the next morning half our family's gone our house is gone everything's gone everything we own's gone our driver's license gone our passports are gone our everything's gone like there's just nothing we were we were just in the hospital in our hospital gowns I did have my watch and my wedding rings on and a and a pair of earrings so I had that and that's it um so it was a lot of shock at first um and then what we what I said to my daughter was honey we haven't been through anything like this before in our life and um we're gonna have to really invest in our um, getting help, or, you know, trauma and mental mental health support, you know, for the grief and the trauma, because she was buried alive, conscious for six hours. Right? Yeah. So she'd push on her entombment, and it wouldn't budge. And, you know, she tells her what that was like in the book, exactly what happened, and it's haunting. And um, so we did. We invested in it and said that was our job. I didn't go back to work. I couldn't go back to work. And um, so my job was getting the needed grief and trauma support to try Mm -hmm. because trauma affects the nervous system. It changes the nervous system. And so there's techniques that can help with PTSD and and different things. So that's what we did is we just invested in it, and that was my job. So I have different appointments throughout the week, and that was my job. And I think that was – probably the wisest thing that Lauren and I did. We didn't avoid it. We said, we're going to need the help. This was massive, and it was sudden, and it was traumatic, and our nervous system got changed, and there's a ton of grief, and how do, how can we get some of the experts to use their skills to help us? And that's what we did. Right, right. I'm glad you shared that. Like I say again, unless you go through certain things in life, 
you really, you know, you like I say again, you can read about it, you can see it on TV and so forth. It's not the same. And uh, the closest experience I have to that was when my, uh, this was in my early years, when I, the first year I got uh, working, where my apartment building caught on fire. And I had to jump off the mm. second, uh, I was on the second flight to, to jump off the balcony. And I lost everything. Mm. Like to say overnight, it's like it's wiped out. The only thing I have was the clothes at the cleaners. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Right. And and I remember uh, staying with uh, my uh, Southern Belle mom. Uh, they have an old house, and it was interesting. It was in the winter time, so in the middle of the night, where you know how the old-fashioned uh, heater, when it comes on, you can smell the heat. Yes, yes, of course. And in the middle of the night, I would like all of a sudden like bolted out of the bed. Uh, you know, my the hair like all rises up because. It, it, that trauma thing when you realize like, oh my God, you know, is, is, is it a fire? And then you realize that, no, it's just a heater, dummy. You know? <laughs> and and so I could relate a fraction to what you guys went through because you all have, you know, the you know, uh, tragedy than that. But I wanted to share that because uh, like I say, again, a lot of times we see people on TV crying and, and, and uh, some people don't get it that uh, unless you're in it, you're not able to fully experience the whole thing, and it's beyond your control. Mm-hmm. 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 So how did the sudden catastrophe affect uh, you spiritually? Hmm, that's a good question. Um, I think I've become more spiritual. I mean, I, I, I'm a woman, you know, I came with mm-hmm. faith to the table, um, mm-hmm. you know, I'm a Christian, and, and I had faith, and I had, you know, gone to church. I was a Sunday school teacher for, you know, for a couple of years when my kids were in junior high. Um, so I had a faith. Um, and through this process, I think I opened up even more spiritually because I've got to um, get exposure. Um, pe- some people brought to my life some intuitives because my son, my, my husband and son mm-hmm. were killed. But my son, unfortunately, was... Um, deemed missing they couldn't find his body and they couldn't find a two-year-old little girl's body so there was 23 people that died that night um, two of which were deemed missing which was my son Jack and then baby Lydia and um, so by happenstance um, some intuitives came into my life that have um, maybe some talents that you and I don't naturally possess and um, (laughs) they were trying to help find the missing kids and I was filleted open, and I was open to, I'm like, I'll take any and all help to find my missing son's remains. It was a 30-square-mile of mud and debris, and and it was a daunting task of where do you look? And um, so through that process of the intuitives and the mediums, and and there was tremendous amount of coincidences, maybe not coincidences, but... um, synchronicities that happened in our three-year search for my son's remains that were jaw-dropping and I I cover them all in the book or not all of them but some of the big ones in the book Mm -hmm. and and so through that through the the use of the um, intuitives and the mediums who are trying to give give clues to help us find our needle in the haystack Jack's remains right or Lydia's remains Mm -hmm. um, and through that search some pretty startling things that happened um, I opened up much more spiritually to knowing we're more than our physical bodies, for sure. And there's things at play um, in in 
this life that are bigger than our human selves. And um, so I'm just I'm very clear with that, and I'm and I'm grateful for it. I mean, the, the, some of the things that I, you know, got to witness or experience was, you know, kind of just um, jaw dropping and 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 profoundly like wonderful. That's very good. I I'm glad that it's not to say a shift, but it's an expansion of your spiritual beliefs. I would say. I think so. I think that's a good way to put it. It just it just opened me up to even more. Right from the mm-hmm. what you learn in Sunday school, you know, it, it it's even bigger than that. I think it's even, right. the universe is all connected bigger than that. I think maybe. Right. Right. Well, what happened with. Uh, we have this thing about everything happened in the past. Oh, back then there's so many wise men, there's this, there's that, but none of these people exist now. That's not necessarily mm-hmm. true. <laughs> we are mm-hmm. born gifted by God. And yeah. so in so many yeah. ways, we all have different gifts. Uh, believe it or not, you are a gifted leader, uh, a presenter. Mm-hmm. And so the experience yeah. you go through in life just basically sort of uh, – for lack of a better term, it's uh, the spiritual side of the equation of uh, fulfilling uh, or, or adding to your credentials, I guess, for lack of mm-hmm. a better term, mm-hmm. in, in our journey. So that's uh, fascinating. That's really very interesting. Uh, how did the energy of love comfort and heal you in such a tragic loss? Oh, um significantly and it came through people right people were mm-hmm. my tonic people were my anecdote um people in this town supported me and lauren um in so many ways that um i felt the love from them and the nurture and then the sacred search team which is a core group of about five people a dog handler and his, and his search dog a general contractor with her um her earth mover, her caterpillar, um, another lady who lost her house in a slide, a scout dad, because my husband was a scout leader uh, in Montecito. And um, they came for three years to help me search. And I got to witness just so much compassion for me and love. Mm-hmm. And um, that got me through it, I think, is that I knew I wasn't alone. There were people and new people that showed up, right? There's some yeah. new people that showed up. There's other people that reentered my life that, um, yeah, I think that, that really helped me get through it. Very, very interesting. And we don't realize this, if you think about it very carefully, uh, Kim, is that there are two but equal separate forces that really governs all of our thought process love or fear and love is about the other person fear is about us and Mm -hmm. what you have your spiritual search team basically we're looking through the lens of love yeah totally absolutely there was a great example mm -hmm. um that is just was stunning and it's i think the example i want to take with me to anyone i encounter (laughs) going through grief because it's the best lesson i learned so three years these people are coming out with me every couple of weeks, right? That's a big commitment. They would right. be leaving their jobs to come out and search. And so a couple of years in, we looked around, and before there was these big piles of debris, right? And so it was easy mm-hmm. to say, oh, we haven't gone through that pile. we got to go through that pile and check it, right? But after a while, there weren't many piles to look at anymore. 
Mm-hmm. And so one time we were out on the search, and it was Ann and Sherry. Ann is a general contractor, and Sherry lost her house, and she would spot when, when, when the, the caterpillar would scoop up stuff to make sure we saw what they scooped up. And mm-hmm. um, we finished the day, and I had to head back to get my daughter from school. And um, what happened was I think it was Ann said to Sherry, or Sherry said to Ann, it doesn't matter. But they looked around, and they didn't see many piles. And they've been out with me for two and a half, almost three years. And they said, one said to the other, when will we know we're done, right, as they're looking Mm -hmm. around? And the other one said, when Kim tells us we are. And that was the biggest gift to give anyone in grief. Mm -hmm. It wasn't Mm -hmm. grief on their timeline for me. They were being compassionate, engaged, and loving to help me on my timeline of grief. And so, because a lot of people come in as grief tourists, right? I'm going to come in, right. tell them I feel sorry for them. I'm going to go to the funeral. I'm going to send them a card week two, and and uh, and then we're done with it. And then I'm going to tell them, you know, within within a year they've got to be over it and, and, and back to right. their life and dating or whatever they're doing. And this was such a different, it was such a profound message when one said, we're done when she tells us. So they were they were so open-hearted Mm-hmm. and giving that they were going to stay helping in whatever grief need I helped in, it, through what, when I needed it. So that's what I want to take with me. If I experience someone who's going through grief, I want to be there on their time, and I'm not going to impose, well, you, sh- you should be doing this on, on month three, and you should be doing this by year <laughs> one. And, you know, I'm not doing, right. doing that because that's not helpful to anyone because everyone grieves differently in a different time. Precisely. Right? Precisely. I mean, that's a big difference is just marinating in something, you see. And But you're not. I mean, you were progressively moving forward and doing yeah. things. And so uh, that's a big difference, like I say, you know. Uh, uh, and, and we so were working such, at moving forward, yeah. Precisely. We were, we were precisely, working at it. Precisely. And that makes a big difference. And obviously, uh, that comes back to, interesting enough, you know, when you start dealing with intuitive mediums and so forth, what was your initial reaction when you got into that sort of uh, expansion of your spirituality side of the equation? And especially when you, uh, you know, how, do, how did you get convinced that it was your son speaking to you uh, through Catherine? Good, good questions. Yeah, so it happened first in the hospital. You know, I was in the hospital mm-hmm. and, and um, they put me on medication, obviously, for the pain after the surgeries and the shock and everything. But my friend at the time, I didn't know it, Marsha, she called um, a renowned evidentiary medium, um, Suzanne Giesman, um, and she had been wanting an appointment with her herself for her own, her own kind of um, reading. But she, she and, and Suzanne's so busy, like she's booked up, I think, for the rest of her life, like right now, this really, really busy woman. <laughs> um, and she, um, she said, my friend might need you, and so can you – instead of my spot, can, can you help maybe my friend and her missing son? And so that was my first entree was with Suzanne. And then I just, and, and you know, the book details it of how I just, I think mm-hmm. it was not a coincidence, but somehow I got connected to Catherine, um, who lives in town, who's got special abilities. And um, she she walked the area. She got clues about the, the many victims, and, and some of her clues found two of the victims for the firefighters uh, that night. And um, so she would do some writings for me, and it was pretty 
uh, profound for me. And when I when I she she writes as she goes, um, and then she'll read back what she she gets. Mm-hmm. And when Jack came through, it sounded like Jack. Um, and he would say things that only he would know or I would know. Right. Um, and then with Suzanne, she's an evidentiary medium, so she's been, I think, evaluated at um, major university or whatever that does these afterlife um, mm-hmm. studies. I think there's real programs in it. And um, she's um, registered there as an evidentiary medium. And when both Dave and Jack came through on the first reading, um, it was clear just how the, the descriptors of them that she couldn't have gotten online and, and, and just come of the messages. So um, hearing both of those, I I was much more open to it. And, and look, I was also, and I'll be candid, I was also a desperate grieving mother looking for my missing son's remains. So I was open to anything that could be a clue. And the clues that what's in, in the book talks, talks about the search, what's fascinating is some of the very clues that um, – Catherine gave in January of 2018 became pretty um, interesting to look at once some of the remains of my son were found. It's a roadmap, basically, bits and pieces. That yeah, and, but, they're, but they're mm-hmm. different. It's not literal. Sometimes, like, one, sure, one thing sure. was a purple umbrella, right? Purple umbrella. And so you think, <laughs> I'm thinking of a purple umbrella. You, if it's raining, you grab, you grab your purple umbrella and go out in the rain. She's like, right. not so fast, Kim. Purple umbrella could be a purple flower that looks mm-hmm. like an umbrella, right? right. Like an agapantha, right? Lily of the Nile. Right. Um, right. It could be something purple, and it could be an umbrella, right? So mm-hmm. she goes, the weird things about these clues is they make sense once – you find what you're looking for, and you're like, I get it. I get what that clue was. I, I get right. it. And it makes all sense now. But sometimes it's – and I'm a lot more of a literal-minded person, and so right. I, I had to be open to that. Right, right. Very interesting. Why did you contact the anthropology department of the University of California, Santa Barbara? <laughs> well, it was through Catherine. So Catherine, mm-hmm. who's got these special abilities, called me one January, and I had kind of started to die, dial down on the, the search efforts, you know, just mm-hmm. so, and I was almost at the yeah. surrendering all in God's time, God's time is the right time, whenever he's going to be found. Jack said he was going to be found. I believe him. He didn't lie. And I had to just, like, let go and let God, right? And so she calls me one January, and she says, Kim, I know this sounds really weird. She goes, but I was in the shower, and I kind of got this God message that you need to talk to a detective about the search and what you should be doing. And I'm like, okay. Well, one of my buddies I worked with when I was 16 um, at an oceanarium, he later became a top detective in Los Angeles. And he's since retired, but I called my buddy Jake, and I said, hey, Jake, I got this message from Catherine, and she said I need to talk to a detective about what's going on in the search. So I told him where we were, what we'd done. We'd bring in the search dogs. We brought in ground-penetrating radar, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, you need, an, you need a forensic anthropologist. And I said, what's that? And mm-hmm. he told me what it was. And, and I said, where do I find one? And he says, call your local university. Well, we have a top 10 uh, research, institu- research university 20 minutes from, from Montecito called um, University of California, Santa Barbara. And so I just happened to email them, and I said who I was. And everyone, you know, 
was familiar. There was so much media coverage, so they, they were familiar with the story. And I said, is there a forensic anthropologist I could talk to that maybe could lend their thoughts about what to do in the search? And so what I was so great is that I got a call back right away from um, a professor, and um, she's like, I just got back from Peru, and I'm I'm happy to help you, and um, I'll meet with your team. And then she even got some student volunteers to help because they were thrilled, right? She got to be able to teach yeah. these skills of archaeology digs and forensic anthropology to students only having to go 20 minutes from the university, <laughs> right? And they had a, a lab there, a forensic lab with all this equipment. She didn't have to fly him to Peru to learn this stuff. So it was, a, I think, a win-win. And, you know, she, she had a compassion for a grieving mother. That's amazing. That really is. And it's all falling into place. The way I look at it, in reading your book, it's a journey. And I'm sure while you're in it, you don't realize it. I hope that makes sense, respectfully. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah you, I, I get it. <laughs> Sometimes you don't know how you're going to get through the day, but you do. Precisely. You just do it. You know, it's like you're going with the flow. And then, uh-huh, yeah, okay, well, yeah, that's it. And then when in hindsight, the that rear view vision uh, gives you that beautiful, complete picture that everything yeah. falls into place as it needed to. So that's really amazing. Mm-hmm. What was your reaction when you first, uh, when you were first told that the remains of the forensic team found was most likely your sons? Um, relief, mm-hmm. relief. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted something. To it just felt um, so wrong for me to know my my son, who was a fabulous human being at 17, um, could be just discarded into some debris pile or hauled right. away. And so right. I really, really wanted some some remains to bury at the cemetery in the plot next to my husband's, so that I could have some closure. And so it was, I would say, relief. Mm-hmm. I it, it, believe it or not, I mean, I can relate to a certain extent in terms of that closure. I came to the United States when I was 18. At 19, my father died in Malaysia, hmm. and I never really set back. Uh, actually, never set back my foot back in Malaysia till 15 years later. During that hmm. time, whenever I thought about my father, he's always alive in my head. Until hmm. I went home, and visited his grave and mm. said a prayer that that closure happened. So I could, you know, understand to a certain extent, like you say, because it's that, wait a minute now, that's it. It's over. It's complete. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I, I can understand that. That Wow. Amazing. What gave you the courage and motivation to write the book about your experience? Um, I think a couple things. One, was it was COVID, so we were all shut in our houses with not much to do. And I said, you know what, since I'm here, I think I want to write some stuff down. Um, so I remember it, right? Remember the details from yeah. my future family if my daughter has, has um, children. And so I started off that way. And then Catherine, Catherine Weisenberg, um, who helped us um, with her abilities, she had just written a book called Beyond Ever After, a heart-to-heart journey, um, I think, with the afterlife. And... Mm-hmm. Um, so she was doing that, so I kind of got inspired by her and seeing that the process for her, how it was for her, and that it was, you know, her book was very helpful for other people. 
So it may, and then the search team, because of all the unbelievable twists and turns that happened during the search for Jack's remains, they're like, you've got to write this down. I mean, it's just unbelievable. Yeah. You've got to write it down. Yeah. So it was those things that, that had me do it. Um, and, um, and, then, and then as I did it, I realized, I looked at it and said, boy, I'm going, I'm really uh, going through a process of, ref, of real desperate grief to look for my missing son to more peaceful acceptance. And, and the things that I had evolved and learned through this whole journey. And so when I saw that, I said that might be helpful for others because if they're dealing with a sudden tragedy or trauma or something or loss, maybe seeing a, someone else's journey and how it can, can change and can soften or lighten um, might be helpful. Sure, sure. That makes a big difference. How did the discovery of Jack's remains contribute to the title of the book? Oh, that's a great question. My daughter, I give her credit for that. But So if you imagine, I think 62 homes were totally destroyed, 150 others were damaged. And so as the mudslide's roaring through, it's, it's demolishing it, right? So what's left in the mm-hmm. soil was the burst plumbing stuff, the sewage. It was all the stuff in people's garages, the arse, the the paint thinners, the chemicals, all that stuff. So the soil, they deemed it was like a chemical soup, and it had arsenic in it and and all these other very bad things. So the thought is nothing could grow in this stuff, right? I mean, it's just bad. And when they found the pile where some of Jack's remains were um, found, it was covered with um, glorious yellow wildflowers. And um, the student clipped them. One of the students who was who was working that day clipped some and put them in a vase and brought them to me and said, you know, um, life found a way. And I said, love found a way. Um, it was pretty pretty startling. And so when we were talking about book titles, uh, my daughter kind of came up with it. She goes, how about where yellow flowers mm-hmm. bloom? And because that really becomes a metaphor for life, right? Seeing right. beauty where there right. shouldn't be any. And... Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it worked. It works well. Was it healing to put your family tragedy into words? Yes, more than I thought. More than mm-hmm. I thought. So I would recommend anyone if you don't have to write a book, but maybe journal. Um, All right. It was. It got it out. It helped me reflectively see the the changes in me. I saw the more peaceful adaptation and acceptance. Um, uh, not except you know, integration that I was having in my life. Um, so yeah, I mean, I was I was really surprised once I kind of birthed the book. How it, that just that helped me then step function move forward more in my life and wanting to move forward rather than you know when you're writing about the whole thing you're kind of still in it and now I'm kind of really deliberately trying to move forward. Right, right. Do you have an advice for others who have unexpectedly lost loved ones? Yeah, be gentle with yourself um, and be open to all the help you're going to need. And a sudden traumatic death is diff- different than an anticipatory death. If someone's dying of right. cancer and you know it's terminal, that's different. A sudden traumatic has its own stuff that comes with it. There's um, a PhD psychologist, um, Jennifer R. Levin, and she has a website, www.therapyheals, and she has what's called Jennifer's Podcast. 
and she does podcasts with people, um, experts around sudden traumatic death and, um, and the trauma and all that stuff. And those are really helpful. They're like 30-minute nuggets. They're free. Those are helpful. But I would say um, be gentle on yourself. Be open to the help and support that's really going to help you from such an unusual experience that's different. Because if you have sudden traumatic, you, one of the hallmarks, you could become hypervigilant. You know, you're worried mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What, what next could, you know, rug could be pulled out from under me, right? And so how can you work through those things so that you can live a normal life, as normal as you can get, you know, just you can, you can live day to day and not have that, those fears. Right, right. That's true. Very true. In terms of spirituality, how do you balance and maybe perhaps your friends and people that you know balance the traditional approach to the new conventional approach to spirituality? Mm, well, I think everyone's, we're all unique, right? And we're all, mm-hmm. we all um, view things in our own way and uniquely, right? Everyone, we can watch the same movie and, right. and come out with totally different reactions. That's the beauty of us being all different humans. And the same thing, I think, with that question, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we can have our experience with our faith and then, and then spirituality, but it's going to be all different for because we're all made differently, so it's how we view it. So I think it's just based on the individual and, and knowing that. So I know everyone's going to interpret, and they're going to interpret my book differently, right? They're gonna, right, right. Because for five people who read the book, I mean, you know, the reviews are kind of a lot of the same themes <laughs> are coming up, sure, but they're going to take away a certain nugget right. that's more meaningful for them than another because of what happened, with, what's in their life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very true. And to me, it's more of the uh, your openness of wanting to find the answer and you let curiosity lead the way, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. Very, very interesting. How has speaking and sharing your story allowed, uh, contributed to your journey of enlightenment? Oh, gosh. I think um, by talking about it, you acknowledge it more. You know, you're just like, yeah, yeah that, that I am different now. I do think more broadly. Mm-hmm. Um, it helps me just realize that I have, I'm a different person in how I view things than I was on January 9th, right? Yeah. Um, I've changed a lot, and we all change in our life, right? Whatever... Mm-hmm. We lose a job or, you know, have, have different experiences in our life. Those things are part of the experience and, and, and changes, and it, and it does modify and changes, and it, that's probably what we're supposed to do is modify and change. We're not supposed to stay the same. You find yourself living more in the moment? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, that's the safest place to live, right, in the present? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, can't dwell on the past and you can't predict the future. So I think what is in the Buddha religion, they say the the key to happiness is just to be in the now, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, because they, if, if I'm really focused on something in the future, like I'm making this up, but say I said I want a new car and I have to have this, <laughs> this, this one model at the showroom, right? And then I get myself all amped up. I ha- if I don't get that one model in the showroom, 
I'm not going to be happy. My life's going to be better once I get it. And if I don't get it, then I'm just let down rather than just being in the being where I am today and not putting an attachment on a certain outcome. And I think that's really important. Not putting an attachment so on a specific outcome. Yeah, yeah. So true. Is it possible to find true happiness again after such a horrific loss? Oh, I hope so. And I yeah, I hope so. Um I I think that would be the best way to honor, you know, my husband and mm-hmm. son is they want my daughter and I to find joy in life for sure. They don't want us to be, you know, laying in the fetal position, you know, wailing. They want mm-hmm. they, the best way is, you know, when we're here on earth, live and live well, right? Live joyfully, live to to experience what life has to offer. And so I think that's the best way to honor um, what I'm supposed to do as a human while while I'm here, and it's the best way to honor my my late husband and my late son. Beautifully put. Beautifully put. Where can someone go to get more information about you, buy your book, and keep up with your latest happenings? Well, thanks for asking that. So with the book, it's Where Yellow Flowers Bloom, um, Where Yellow Flowers Bloom, A True Story of Hope Through Unimaginable Loss, and it's on Amazon. It's also in local bookstores in the Santa Barbara area, but since we it's just kind of recently released, it's on Amazon. Um, and then to learn about what's going on with me and the different, you know, um, speaking engagements or talks or whatever, I have a website, kimcanton.com, and it's Canton like a tin can, C-A-N-T-I-N, kimcanton.com, and that has that and information on the book as well. So it would be amazon.com for where yellow flowers bloom and then kimcanton.com. Wonderful. Looking back, Kim, prior to 2018, January 2018, that's a block uh-huh. of life that you know you shared quite a bit in the book and then, of course, throughout the process afterwards and so forth. And how about today? So when you look back, you have sort of like three components there. How do you see yourself? How do I can you can you um frame yeah, that a little bit different? How do I see myself? Yeah, back then. Frame, frame that a little bit again the for During the process me. and then now. <laughs> oh, how do I see myself? I see myself yeah. more evolved of where I'm um I'm more empathetic. Mm-hmm. I have a profound wisdom of grief, so for people going through grief, I can I can hold that space better with them because I understand it so well. Yeah. Sometimes people want you to be with them. Mm-hmm. I think I'm more vulnerable. Um, I'm more open. I was, you know, had a busy corporate job, so it's kind of corporate Kim, and had my professional demeanor. And now I'm more just um, human Kim, and some would say that's softer. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a softer um, demeanor about her, right? So I Very think that's, that's a difference. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it seems like prior to everything, you're very structured, right? Prior to 2018. Mm-hmm. And then amidst the chaos, so to speak, uh, without the closure and whatnot, uh, it's the chaotic moment. And then all of a sudden, you... If, sort of like that process had brought you to a point where all of a sudden right now there's a quiet confidence within you and the energy re- you radiate, like what you were talking about, is love and understanding. Yeah, that's, that's what, look, that's what it's about, right? 
I think we're all on this earth to evolve closer to love. And if we can stay in that space and and play bigger and not get mired in the the stuff that's annoying, um, (laughs) it's a happier happier place to be. I mean, there's someone told me once, which was good, there's A problems, B problems, and C problems, right? Uh An A problem is someone cuts you off on the road. You know, a B problem is, you know... You can't pay your taxes, something, you know, it's a, it's a big deal, you know, or, you know, you're going into surgery for, you know, getting your gallbladder removed, right? Um, <laughs> but an A problem is is what I had, right? And so, you know, sudden death and uh, tragedy. So if, if you can kind of con- contextualize that most things in life are just, you know, the little problems, um, it can help you kind of dismiss the irritation of them more mm-hmm. <laughs> so true so what's next for you yeah i'm gonna i think um the book's out i'm gonna do some more speaking engagements i think i'm gonna do a little traveling um and um reconnecting with um more of my friends now that i have i'm not working so i have more time for that <laughs> mm-hmm. um and just um who knows? I might have another book or two in me. I don't know. It could be about you know what it's like moving forward, right? And all the mm-hmm. it could be there's funny stuff that goes along with that, and and um, <laughs> not so funny stuff that goes along with that. Um, you're put into a position of like, oh, my life has pivoted, and now I've got to walk in that. Um, so who knows? I, I'm just taking it day by day. Interesting. That's wonderful. Are you still in contact with Catherine? Yes, very much so. Mm-hmm. She's a friend of mine. And pursuing perhaps uh, in uh, conversations with uh, your loved ones? No, we don't do that that much anymore. Um, mm-hmm. You know, she, she's kind and offers it, but I'm, I'm at a place where I don't feel like I need that as much. Um, mm-hmm. We're mm-hmm. just friends. And, um, right. you know, we do kind of, um, you know, learn from one another she's doing uh, a lot of book tour stuff for her book um Mm -hmm. for a walk you know she's she's just uh, a friend in the neighborhood now and um she's a she's a a very dear friend she's very supportive um of people and she comes with that um lens of loving others and so she's just a treasured friend but no i don't do the you know she'll she'll call and say hey do you want a writing and i'm like i don't (laughs) need one right now you know yeah well, that's the beauty of it, I think, in the sense that, you know, the motherly love comes to full closure or uh, in the sense that it's done and you're at peace and you, uh, you know, you saw the beauty in everything. Yeah. And it's the next chapter of your life, so to speak. Wonderful. By the way, we're coming close to the end of the hour since our show is about people family and living life would you like to share a recipe for living with our listeners this morning i think it's when you're talking about a recipe for living uh, johnny i'd say be open to all the ingredients that you need at the time uh, for your life right Um, and the ingredients Mm -hmm. can change based on what you need so for me you know the ingredients i had in my life before the tragedy was very different from I knew after the trauma and the sudden loss, I needed ingredients of grief support and trauma support. I needed those ingredients. Um, And I wasn't 
I was open to them, and I was open to intuitives. I was open to Reiki therapy. I was open to somatic touch therapy. I'm open to EMDR, PTSD, um, trauma therapy. <clears throat> because if you're open to the ingredients you need at the time, that's going to help you and, and not have kind of a filter. Um, and then be comfortable with the discomfort um, as you evolve because as you change, you kind of sometimes be in a little different space and um, just to, you know, be, get comfortable in the discomfortable and, and, and your vulnerability and helplessness sometimes in the moment and just kind of get comfortable with that because we're all vulnerable and helpless at times. Very interesting. That's a beautiful recipe for living. Sounds like you acknowledge yourself of sort of uh, enrolled in the University of Life and constantly (laughs) graduating from it. I'm getting a PhD. (laughs) And it's ongoing. (laughs) I know. It's it's, it's a thesis that keeps going and going, the dissertation. But that's the beauty of it, though, Kim, as you go and speak, because no one wants to hear uh, oh, I read that book, page 35, paragraph 3. You need to do that, really. Right, 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 right. <laughs> you know, I could Google that. <laughs> what exactly. I want to hear is exactly. the real you, you know, and yeah. that makes yeah. a big difference. So uh, that I think that speaks for itself. Kim, thank you for the great recipe for living again and for spending this hour with me on From My Mom's Kitchen Talk Radio. To all our listeners, please join me next Wednesday morning, January I mean, July 26th at 10 a.m. Central Time U.S. My guest will be Irving Lazio. Uh, t- nominated twice for the Nobel Peace Prize, Professor Lazio is the founder and director of the Lazio Institute of New Paradigm Research, a global think tank dedicated to exploring and expanding the frontiers of science and consciousness. Professor Lazio will be joining us from Italy and we will be having a conversation about his remarkable life's journey and his latest book, The Survival Imperative, Up Shifting to Conscious Evolution. For additional information about this show and future shows, please go to FromMyMama'sKitchenTalkRadio.com. Thank you for listening, and have a blessed week. Kim, it has been a true pleasure. Thank you again, and have a very blessed day. Oh, thanks for having me. Thank you. Bye-bye.